Am I on? Yep. Oh, morning, church. How are we all doing? I see there's some of us that were here this morning. That's good. So you should already be fired up. Yeah? I see Pastor Robin's already fired up. She's always fired up, eh? Did an awesome job leading the service, I thought. Yeah. Really fired up. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Everyone say, welcome, Holy Spirit. How many of you here talked to the Holy Spirit this morning? That's awesome. Did you talk to him before church? Yeah, did you talk to him the day before that? Yeah? Oh, awesome. Well, I don't need to preach the message then. No, I'll just be honest. So, um, well, my message is uh, God's Holy Spirit and fire. You know, uh, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit's really important, hey, in, in a Christian's life. And, uh, and I don't think we give him the uh, priority that he deserves in our lives, eh? In church and outside of church. I don't think we make enough room for him. I don't think we listen to him as much as we should. I don't think we talk to him. You see, having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is a relationship with God because he hears what the Father hears and talks to us. I want to start with uh, John fifteen twenty six, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So already here we've got some clues of the function of the Holy Spirit. First of all, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. Now what does the helper do? Now I'm not going to go around like this morning because it was a bit more intimate. I could ask people. But a helper, you know, what does a helper do? A helper teaches. He comforts. Shows you things, reveals revelation, reveals truth, because he's referred to as the spirit of truth. He also keeps us on the right path. You know, if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, it's really easy to go off path, eh? You know, the Holy Spirit usually gives you a check in your spirit, usually says, oh, hang on a minute, this, this is not right. And you normally can tell. You normally, you know deep down inside, whatever you're doing is not right, but you keep doing it because you're not really listening. There's, there's actually someone right now that's in that position, eh? This, this message is for you. You know, you're on the wrong path. Whoever this is, you're on the wrong path and you know it. And you know if you keep going down that path, it's not going to end very well And those around you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Show him the way. Show him the right way in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. But most importantly, the Holy Spirit is a constant testimony of Jesus. In verse 27, Jesus says, And you will bear witness, and he will also bear witness. So he is witnessing to our spirit of Jesus Christ. How many of us knew that? He is a constant reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is constantly testifying to us, witnessing to us, reminding us what Jesus did, what God has done. He does that so we can witness to the world what God has done. You don't need to try. Just listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him witness through you. We've got to stop trying to be Christians and just be a Christian. 
You know, a Christian actually means just to be a follower of Christ. That's it. It's not about rules and regulations and wearing the right clothes or titles. It's a lot of rubbish. We're all on the same playing field, eh? I think uh, it's all been perverted, you know, with other churches, to be honest. I'm going to say it. The Pope isn't the one guy that hears from God, eh? Sorry. Look where that's got the world. In a complete and utter disgusting mess. It's disgusting. I won't get into that. But we can all hear from God. We all have the single source of truth within inside us. No one else. It's just whether you're listening. He's right there. you just got to take the time. Make the time. Like if you're having trouble listening to the Holy Spirit, I got the guys to do, to do this this morning, just go back to a time God done something for you. Go back to that and live out of that. See, the Holy Spirit is a, a must in our lives. Nothing can be done without him. There's no point being a Christian unless you have the Holy Spirit. Just forget it. It's just flogging a dead horse. We ought to be totally reliant on him. Totally reliant. You know, too many Christians and churches don't give him the priority he deserves. Sometimes we get too structured and we structure him out. You know, how many times, I've experienced times when the Holy Spirit's moved quite mightily. I'm not going to say where, but it was in one particular service. And everyone could sense it, you could feel it, oh man, it was intense. And then a guy got up and ended it because they had a timetable to meet and it can totally quench the Holy Spirit because he's sensitive. He doesn't push himself on you. He's gentle, he's a gentleman. He rests on you gently. But he can also be quenched very easily. Am I getting through to someone? You know, sometimes we also get into the habit of waiting on God and there's nothing wrong with waiting on God. The point is we wait on God so much that we forget that God's actually still doing stuff and we're not listening to him because we're continually waiting all the time. I'm waiting on God to do this. I'm waiting on God for an answer. What about all the other stuff God's saying to you? You've just ignored it. The church has ignored it. Yes, there's stuff to wait on. Yes, there's a huge outpouring. But I don't think waiting's going to get you there. What is God saying to you right now? See, we've got to tap into the Holy Spirit, put our spiritual antenna up. What I mean by that is just take the time to just get out of your head and listen to your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit stuff. You can ask him things. Even if you can't hear him, you can ask him. You know, the question is, are you making enough room for him? Do we give him the permission to work in our lives? Do we give him permission to minister to our hearts? Because he does minister to our hearts. You know, there's always been an argument about conviction, whether the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. I've experienced it myself. I experienced it back there at the sound desk years and years ago. 
I'll never forget it. We had a guy here from America, and he, he was the armor bearer of one of the preachers, and he testified, and I got a massive hit from the Holy Spirit. Never had it before. Went, went, and, visit, went and saw a friend of mine who's not a Christian. You know what the first thing he said to me? He goes, well, what, what's on you? He noticed it. It's noticeable when the Holy Spirit's on you. The world notices. They might not know what it is, but they know something's, uh, something's on you. The problem is I think we all get caught up with the affairs of this life. Social media, the news, all the rubbish that's out there, whether it's true or not. I think it's time to put, put your social media out, eh? Put it away. It's not, what, what benefit do you get out of it other than information, whether it's misinformation or not? All it does is get you angry. It does. See, you know, you know men becoming women, women become boys, non-gender, non-binary, all that crap. Yeah, we know there's no morals out there anymore. There's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is that. If you want to make change, focus on that. It's the only way things will change. Yeah, we get angry because we can't change it. We get angry because, yeah, it's happening. Get over it. Focus on that. Let God change it. See what God says about it. Let God direct, direct us. If we want change... We need to tap into God all the time. I think it's time for sacrifice now. It's time to put the TV away. It's time to put social media away. It's time to put your grudges away. It's time to forgive humanity. Humanity failed miserably. Forgive them. What does holding a grudge do? Nothing. just makes you angry and blocks you from hearing from God. I know because I experienced it myself. You know, in 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy because Timothy was like a young pastor or a young, mature Christian. And he was in Asia and Paul was in prison. And Paul wrote these two letters. If you read the two books of Timothy, it's all about encouraging and correcting. He was trying to encourage Timothy. And he, he says this in 2 Timothy 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a good soldier. How can you be in warfare if you're distracted? You know, imagine a, a, a unit, an army unit gets sent out, they have a commander, they have their orders, they have a strategy. The first thing the enemy is going to do is try and distract them, get them off that strategy. Then they're focused over here and they destroy them. It, it does you no good. I, I, I can testify to that. I had it this week. I got too stuck up in what was going on at work. You know, I was angry about the situation. I'd forgiven everyone there, but I was angry about the way things had worked out. I was too angry. Couldn't hear from God. And I was trying to prepare a message. It was impossible. Normally I have a revelation. I work around. I spend all week on it. Thursday night comes and I've got nothing. And I was just compounding because I'm stressing out. So I, I went to Pastor Robin and, and I asked for prayer. Instantly healed. Gone. Felt like something lifted off my head. You know, think about it, it's like being stuck in a spider web. The more you move, the more entangled you get. Couldn't move. But I had prayer and it was gone. The next day it all flowed out. I got myself in that mess, but you can get, you know, that's why we have the body of Christ. We're all here to help each other out. None of us are perfect. We're all of our shortcomings, eh? I don't proclaim to be perfect. It's a work in progress all the time. We all fall, but the 
The point is, as long as you get up. I always tell myself, I'm never going to quit on God because he never quit on me. He never leaves you. It's us that leaves him. The devil was really good at telling you God's left you. You can't feel him. You can't sense him. That's just a complete lie. So it's important to get to know the Holy Spirit. We've got to learn his voice, what his voice sounds like. And like I said, you can actually ask the Holy Spirit whether you can't hear him or not. You can ask him, teach me to hear you. Just ask him to show you through the word. That's why it's actually important to take time and read your word. Just take time. Read anything. It doesn't matter. Just read something in there. The Holy Spirit will eventually reveal something to you. Here's an example. 1 Kings 19.11-12. Now this is God's revelation to Elijah. And it says, Then he said, Go out and stand on a mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still, small voice. That's a revelation on how God talks to us through his Holy Spirit. The small, gentle, little voice. It takes a bit of faith. Remember, it's all about faith anyway. It takes practice. It takes practice. The one way you can practice, and Gary used to teach us this at MDCs, during praise and worship, put yourself in the shoes of the service leader. Take a time out, listen to your heart, and ask the Holy Spirit, What's going on in the service? What would, you, what would you say when you get up here? And see if it lines up. It's a good way to practicing. Do it every service. Just take a section out. Just, I'm going to take five minutes and just focus and see what's going on in the service. You'll be surprised what you hear or what you see. I'm sure some of you can testify people have seen things in here, heard things. I saw something. I closed my eyes this morning. And I was just wanting to see what the Holy Spirit... You know what I saw? Jesus smiling at us. That's it. He's smiling upon us because we are his children. Sometimes we just need that. See, the river, this... Uh, um, God doesn't talk or demonstrate his glory through earthquakes or natural fires or hurricanes. It's through the Holy Spirit. But God always gets blamed when a natural disaster happens. It's funny. They don't believe in God, but they like to blame him for stuff that he doesn't do. Funny that. See, God, you know, God created the earth and he created us by his Holy Spirit. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. And that's resting inside of us all the time. In Genesis, it talks how the Spirit was hovering over the deep, just hovering there before the earth was formed. The Holy Spirit did nothing until God said, let there be light, and then there was light. Can you comprehend that? This is the Holy Spirit that created the earth. That's how powerful, this is God's power, is in us. How can anything be against us? You know, the body of Christ, until they come to a realization that we are a son and daughter of the Most High, and that we are carrying His power... We need to get to that revelation and watch out. 
you know, a believer baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire is a demonstration of God's power. You know, it's not like the Old Testament where God would have a big cloud of fire or bread from heaven and all sorts of stuff. You know, God will demonstrate how he wants to, but ultimately, to demonstrate God's power is through us. See, the world takes notice when the Holy Spirit moves. The world takes notice when a believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because when someone's baptized with the Holy Spirit, they're fired up and you take notice. I took notice when Brent got baptized in a big way. And then I, that's what I wanted, so I got it. I know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit can do. It can change you in an instant. It takes you up to another level. We go to Matthew 3.11, and this is John the Baptist. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than, those, mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. So not only are we baptized with the Spirit, we are also baptized with the fire of God. See, the fire of God is throughout the Bible and is associated with God's presence. It's a sign of God. So when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a fire associated with it. There's a reaction to it. It's how you know someone's on fire. If you look at if you look go back to the day of Pentecost, there were 120 in the upper room. And they received the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, Then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. It's a manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one sat upon each of them. And that's another thing, that's speaking in tongues. I don't think we speak in tongues enough. We don't hear it enough. I remember coming into this church and hearing tongues and I thought, oh man, what the heck is that? And then, you know, Amy said, oh, it's a heavenly language. And I went, I've got to learn another language? <laughs> that's how I thought. I was thinking, how am I going to do that? I struggle with English as it is. <laughs> but you know, some people do struggle, uh, you know, some people do get baptized of the Holy Spirit and they do struggle with tongues because they get it in their head that they think it happens instantly, that I don't want to make it up because I want it to be real. But um, the truth is, you've got to make it up, you've got to fake it till you make it. That's how it worked for me. I just started muttering something. Just, you just do it, faith's in action. Just start doing something. Start muttering. Before you know it, your brain switches off and your spirit takes over. And before you know it, the language changes and you know you don't even know what you're saying. But you know it's not you speaking it. It just comes naturally. In fact, Pastor Don used to say that we should pray in tongues all the time because it was like recharging your batteries, which is true. I like to pray in tongues because I don't know what I want to pray half the time, but my spirit does. I mean, Paul used to say, I pray in tongues more than anyone. So shouldn't we? And like I said, we should speak tongues in church more because there's someone in here that's probably got the gift to interpret it. I'd like to hear someone interpret tongues, wouldn't you? If it's a gift, someone in here's got it. We don't know it unless we start trying to do it. We've got to start trying doing stuff. Are you with me? So we know that 3,000 were added on one day because of 120 fired up Christians. 3,000. Can you imagine how many people we added if we were all fired up? 
be honest. You know what's interesting is before the before the, the hints cross, 500 people witnessed Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and they also witnessed what, like Pastor Lisa mentioned on Easter, the other um, people that rose from the graves walking around. Now, you would have thought, oh, seeing Jesus raised from the dead would have made you believe, would have made you have faith. Well, it did the opposite, didn't it? They didn't turn up. The 120 that were there already believed in Jesus, already believed in his message before he rose again. That's why they were there. Seeing, seeing is believing is not true. You might believe at the time, but faith's about believing in the unseen all the time. You're not moved. It's unmovable faith. Can you imagine if, the, if all 500 had turned up, how much would have been saved that day? But I mean, lots. All right, moving on. Hebrews 1.7 says, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. God makes his ministers a flame of fire. Who do you think the ministers are? It's us. That's right. It's all of us. Not just a select few. See, God's holy fire produces passion, excitement, boldness for Jesus. It can't be hidden. Fire is noticeable. It's tangible. When you're around a fired-up Christian, you can't help notice them. You feel it off them, the way they walk, the way they talk. It's the presence about them. You catch it. A fired-up believer is a demonstration of God's power. It changes you, makes you bold, hungry for the word, hungry for God's presence. Nothing is impossible. Nothing. We all experience God's presence and Holy Spirit and baptisms differently, and that's because we're all different. For me, I didn't get a hit like some people do, but I got a massive, intense hunger, which was supernatural because I couldn't stand the TV. I couldn't stand anything other than the Word. It was, it was like my spirit was thirsty and it needed filling. I was devouring it. Couldn't, get, couldn't wait to get home to get stuck into the, into the Word. Couldn't wait. Can you imagine if we're all like that all the time? We can be. It's a choice. You know, life does take over. We've just got to decide. There's a thing called perseverance and endurance. We are running a race. It's in that holy fire that we are refined. All our doubts and fears are evaporated, being consumed with his presence. See, fire accelerates change in our life like a quickening. When someone's baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's a quickening that happens in them. They go up another level. You see, it happened to Paul. He went from Saul to Paul in a blink of an eye. Changed him from a guy persecuting the church to the guy, one of the biggest defenders of the church. In fact, wrote the New Testament. That's how awesome our God is. That's how, that's how change can happen in us in the blink of an eye, if you allow it. The fire of God is a manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't deny it, it can't, and it can spread like wildfire, wildfire, but the only requirement is faith.
Right, yeah, go on. Where was I? I've forgotten, yeah? Yeah, faith is the only requirement. It's not, it's not about what you've done or what you're going to do. It's faith. Just believe. If you really want something and you believe in it, you will receive it. Jesus said, you know, when you pray, ask. When, and when you ask for God, believe that you've received it before you've received it. As I said before, God's holy fire is common in the Bible. And if you study it, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, most of the time when God's presence turned up, his fire was associated with it. Like, for example, in Exodus, when the burning bush from which God spoke to Moses, or when God descended on Mount Sinai in fire, or when God led Israel out of Egypt in a pillar of fire through the Sinai deserts. Another instance of God's use of fire as an active manifestation of his presence was to consume sacrifices offered up to him. So you could say when we turn up, so does the Holy Spirit in fire. You know, Fergus used to, I don't know if some of you might know Fergus, he used to get you to tell you to confess that, eh? That when you turn up, God turns up. You know, tell, tell yourself, God likes me. The Holy Spirit likes me. He likes being around me. You've got to tell yourself that. You've got to build yourself up. There's enough condemnation out there to hammer you down. You've got to build yourself up all the time. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that God is a consuming fire, cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. God is not a fire like any other fire. He refines and consumes. It's a demonstration that he is God. It's a demonstration there's no one like him. When the world sees the Holy Spirit and fire form a believer, they see and know who God is. There is no disputing it. Whether they believe or not, they know something. They know. A good example of this is in 1 Kings 18. God sent Elijah to the king of Israel to give the people under his kingdom a choice. Elijah told the king to bring all the people to the mountain named Carmel. And when they all arrived, Elijah said to them, you can't have two gods, you must choose. So Elijah had the 450 followers of Baal prepare a sacrifice and he would do the same. He would then, then he said, now you call on your God and I'll call on mine and the one who answers by fire is the true living God. So the prophets did as Elijah did had said, and the prophets prayed morning till night. They cut themselves, they danced, they yelled, they screamed, they cried, nothing. Now it came to Elijah's turn. So now, not only did Elijah have his sacrifice ready, he, he said, right, I want to pour water all over it. So he doused it in water. And like Pastor Robin, you know, it's interesting, it, it's wet wood. Trying to ignite wood that's wet, you can't. So 1 Kings 18.38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So Elijah had proved to the wicked king and all his followers that their God was not true. But the God that he served was the true living God. See, the world will know who the true God is when we demonstrate it. They've all got their false gods out there. I think some of us are still holding on to it. You know, false gods come in all forms, eh? Social media is one. 
when you're on it all the time and you, you can't get away from it. You hop on a train, eh? How many people have got their heads on the phone? Everyone. Food for thought. See, when the demonstration of God's power happens, it's hard to know. It gives people a choice, just like the prophets of Baal. They fell on their faces and they acknowledged the Lord. He is God. It's also interesting that when God's fire came down, it burnt up like a seed that soaked wood. Which tells me if your wood is wet, it can still be reignited. Because God's fire can reignite anything. You might, your flame might be flickering. You might feel dead inside. Empathy, you know, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is, God can still reignite it. That's how good our God is. That's the God we serve. He can pull you out of any situation you got yourself into, and we do all the time. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because I know there are some people here that are condemning themselves because they know they're not in the place they should be. You get yourself trapped and you think you can't get out of it. Well, God can. All it is is a choice. It just comes down to a simple choice. You choose. God can't make you do it. All right, let's carry on. So if we go to Romans eight fifteen to 19. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting for us get this revelation we know it we can believe it we can think it we can desire it with all our hearts we can pray for it but the real validation happens when the Holy Spirit joins with the Spirit inside of us to speak to God just like it says in verse 16 so it's another function of the Holy Spirit to testify to our spirit that you are a child of God isn't that interesting never noticed that before the Holy Spirit is constantly telling us you are a child of God. Why? Why does he need to keep reminding us? Because we don't believe it yet. I don't think we believe it yet. See, the Spirit's words are simple. Oh, Father, hear the heart of your child. He intercedes for us when we pray, even when we don't have words to say. The Holy Spirit's presence is in us is one of the proofs that we are the children of God. You cannot have the Holy Spirit and not be the child of God. That's the only reason we have it, is because we are his children. He gave it to Jesus because he was the son of God. He's given it to us because we're the sons and daughters of God. Are you hearing me? Because it's very quiet. <laughs> very quiet. Yeah. Such revelation should fill our hearts with confidence. And our God. We can have two different mindsets with this when we come to God. We can approach Him as a slave in bondage, or we can approach God as a son and daughter. Stop thinking about what you've done in your past. 
just approach them as a child. You know, when a child's been naughty, they don't approach their parent as a slave in bondage. They still approach them as a parent because a parent's going to help them, aren't they? doesn't matter what you've been doing or what you're at. You approach God as a child. Let him sort it out. Let it change our thinking. 1 John 5.19 We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. As children of God, we have the ability to see truth and not be fooled. Some people call that intuition or a gut feeling, but for us it's the Holy Spirit. John 16.13 But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what he is to come. That's Jesus describing another function of the Holy Spirit. He is referring to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. I don't think we realize what that actually means. You know, you can get yourself into situations like when you meet someone and there's something not right about them. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you're not listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying about that person because there are some bad actors out there and the Holy Spirit will show you the truth about someone if they're going to be do you harm or they're, they're doing something stupid. I'll give you an example that uh, happened in this service. There was someone in here, and I don't think they did it intentionally, but they had a spirit on them that was sucking the anointing up up here. And I, and I, I was listening for the Holy Spirit to see what he was saying, and he pointed the person out, and he showed me the spirit on this person. Now, I don't, it's not about going up and, and exposing that person because that's not right. That's not helping them. But what you do is you bind that spirit to yourself, you pray, because that's why the Holy Spirit shows you things. You bind it, pray for it, and it bound it, and the anointing came back. Then you go up to that person and deal with it, because that person needed help. But sometimes, you know, the devil latches onto people, and he will use that. There's also, you know, situations where you'll get a check in your spirit where something's not right. You've got to listen to that. It's not intuition, it's the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. There's lots of lies out there, but, you know. See, the devil, this is the devil tries so hard to discredit the church. This is why he discredits and twists God's word. Anything to cause unbelief, fear, division, spread fake news to prevent people from hearing the truth and receiving this gift, receiving the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to know the truth because he knows he, because he, knows he can't hide from from you once you know the truth. Because once you know the truth, you see who the devil for what he is. Because the world can't see him. The Bible says the, the devil's, you know, the world's under the sway of the evil one. They can't see what he's doing. Look at the mess out there. But we can. That's why we get frustrated, because we can see it. Because that's the spirit of truth revealing his plan. That's why he doesn't want the rest of the world to know. Because they will see for what he is a father of all lies and destruction and death and sickness and immorality. I mean, the world doesn't know. I mean, the world celebrates Halloween. You know, if you think, oh, Halloween's just a, it's just a holiday for kids to go trick-or-treat, no, it's not. 
It's celebrating something evil. It's a significant night in the satanic realm. And the whole world celebrates it without even knowing. As Christians, we shouldn't be doing it. We should be doing the opposite. We used to do angels night. Yeah. Don't, don't follow the world, eh? Their ways are not God's ways. We, that's how we stand out. Yeah, you might get abuse for it or on that, but who cares? Look what Jesus went through on the cross. Nothing compared to someone abusing you. See, not knowing your position or who we are in Christ will always hold you back. It opens the door up for fear, condemnation, depression, self-hate, guilt, the feeling, how, how can God love me? It ultimately prevents you from yielding and, and receiving the Holy Spirit and his righteousness. It just does no good. This is where God's mercy and grace steps in. I mentioned this in my last message, Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are two things in this passage that you cannot earn, it's mercy and grace. We need mercy for the past and grace for the future. It's only by God's grace that we can come, become the kind of people and live the kind of lives that he requires of us. It's his righteousness that rests on us and is a reason why we can connect to God and talk to him and be filled with his holy fire. Not in our own doing. It's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Just let his mercy take over. Live in his grace. You know, Paul, there was another thing Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1. He said, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Have you noticed it's always in Christ? In Jesus' name, in Christ. It's always in Christ. Nothing is outside of Christ. His grace can be found in Christ. Matthew 4, 1-3. Now, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The reason I brought this scripture up is I wanted to point something out. This is how subtle the devil can be. So Jesus was tested in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. But when Satan approaches Jesus, he says to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But what the, what the, uh, what the devil left out in his confession was, if you are the Son of God, not the beloved Son, which was declared the chapter before when Jesus was baptized. He still called him the Son of God, but he said, not beloved. Why? He's subtle. Because in the chapter before, when Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit came down from heaven, and the voice from God's voice came out and said, this is my beloved Son. We are his beloved. You've got to remind yourself, you are loved. It's funny how the devil left that out. He doesn't want you to know that you're loved. Because if you know you know you're not loved, then it opens the door for everything else. Subtle, eh? Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not only are we, adop 
Not only are we adopted as sons and daughters, not only are we baptized with the power of God and fire and given all these gifts, God went a further step and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. We're seated, not below Christ, with Christ. I, I, that amazes me every time, and that's why I like bringing it up. He went further. Not only did he make us a son and daughter, not only he gave us his power, he gave us his son. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms. We're so powerful. When are we going to realize it, church? When? If we want the great move to happen, that's it. We've got to wake up. I want to. I want to end on this. You know, we we've all we've all got the uh, same calling, which is the Great Commission. We all have individual callings and different gifts, but it's all to work towards the Great Commission, eh? It's all about the lost. We tend to forget that. We tend to get into church mode, go to church, just be a spectator, go home. That doesn't cut it anymore. That's not what this church is. We actually expect everyone to be doing something, eh? There's now an expectation on you. There's an expectation on me. There's an expectation on you. And it's to save souls or work towards it. Come on. How will we ever change anything? How will we ever fill these seats up? Seriously, it's not about fashion, money, or book on how to go to church. You go to church by saving people. That's it. When are we going to start doing it? Because clearly we're not. Look how empty these seats are. The onus is on all of us, including myself. Now I'm talking to myself too. We all have someone in our sphere that we can witness to. It's not about Bible bashing people. Find your way of sharing. You're unique. You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. Just be yourself. We all have a special, unique way to witness, eh? Just find it. It's not about getting someone saved on the day. It's about sowing that seed. Because someone else will uh, harvest, eh? Will reap it. We might be the other on the other end of as well and reap it that someone else sowed. But we're not going to reap anything unless we're out there sharing, demonstrating. It's time to, to take it seriously and stop being spectators. We've got to get serious about this. Well, what's the point? What's the point of coming to church? Yeah, it's hard, but I feel like the Holy Ghost is really wanting this as a, to make a point about it. You know, Isaiah 60, 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. To preach good tidings to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We all have the Holy Spirit within us. We are fully equipped to go out there and do what the disciples did. We are the ones that God uses to perform the greater works. Jesus said we had performed greater works than he. We are the ones. The buck stops with us. We're accountable. 
This is why God set up the church to be led, to be accountable, to be taught the things of God in order to be effective out there. This is our training ground, as well as our place of worship and fellowship. It's not a place to take lightly. That's why honour and reverence is expected. It's due. Coming in here, going in and out of the service and bringing in hot food and coffee is not honouring and reverence, is it? You wouldn't do that in a meeting. When are we going to treat God higher than everything else? We wouldn't turn up late for your work, but we turn up late for church. It's, it's, called, it's sending a message, whether you're sending one or not. It sends a message. I just want people to get... Oh, when are we going to take God seriously? Because he took it so seriously, he put his son up the cross. It's, I'm not telling us off. I'm just trying to get people to see it. We all, we all have a purpose in life. We all go out there and go, do you think your purpose in life is to go to work, 20, you know, eight hours a day, come home, watch TV, wake up, go to work, go home, watch TV? What kind of life is that? If, uh, I'd give up my job in a heartbeat if I could be full-time helping God out if I knew what that was. But we'll never know unless we start pursuing it. Don't you want to help? How many here want to do this? Let's give God the honour and reverence right now. Let's worship our God. Let's worship him in truth and spirit. We are the true worshippers of God. He's given us his mercy. You know, Jesus went on that cross. He took on what we deserved. That's mercy. He showed us mercy. And then he gave us grace, which we didn't deserve. But he's given it to us. Are we going to waste it? Are we going to waste his Holy Spirit? On what? Doing nothing? I'm talking to myself too, eh? I'll leave it there.